I'm really glad to be here this morning, and I'm particularly, it's an old-fashioned statement to say I'm tickled, but I'm, I'm really, it, this is a privilege, it's an honor this morning to share with you about Christ and the Passover. As you heard, my wife and I just moved here a couple years ago, and um, we didn't know this church when we moved into Ridgewood. Uh, what drew us to Ridgewood was we had lunch at Raymond's. Uh, as we were looking at all the towns in the area, and across from us was a couple of Jewish women, and I struck up a conversation with them. And very, I haven't seen this since, but if you've ever heard of a, a, a religious Jewish organization called Chabad, uh, it was Sukkot, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles in the Fall, and they came by with their thing, and all the, and I'm like, oh, maybe my wife, let's live here, but I think we are here. Uh, this, this community, this church is really, I think, why we're here, and, and I'm so excited and just really um, grateful that, that the Lord brought us to this church, and uh, I want to thank you, Aaron, for having me this morning. Hey, uh, we're going to read, we're going to start out right away reading from your favorite book, Deuteronomy. <laughs> Actually, I think it might have been Jesus' favorite book. I think he quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other book, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 if, if you're not familiar, it's five books in from the left, but I don't have a pew Bible, so I can't tell you what page it's on. Should be up behind me, yep. Deuteronomy 16, starting in verse 1. Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice is the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Now we see here that the Lord commanded Israel to eat bread made without yeast for seven days. Uh, why no leaven? Well, because um, yeast uh, causes bread to rise, obviously, and throughout Scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol of sin, so what happens when sin is in our life? We kind of puff up just like a loaf of bread with pride, so during this week, we eat no leaven as a symbolic way of saying we should remove the sin from our lives. Now, if you've ever tried to eat only unleavened bread, we call it matzah, for a week, on day one, it's okay. And day two, you know, it's uh, by day seven, you're going to be dying for a hamburger with a bun or a bagel. And uh, trust me on that. Now, once we remove all the, the leaven and the home is clean, it's ready for the Passover celebration to begin. And it's a really fun holiday. How many have tried celebrating Passover in some way? All right, I had a feeling in this church that would be the case. Well, you know it, it's fun. The kids are a big part of it. Built-in Q&A session, lots of singing. But my ancestors were instructed to eat that first Passover meal a little differently, with loins girded, sandals on their feet, and staves in hand ready to go at a moment's notice. But like I said today, it's different. We actually recline on pillows as we eat. We relax. We get to kind of slouch over, and I won't point any people out, but some of you are in the spirit of things this morning. All right. Well, why? Because in ancient Middle Eastern societies, only the free could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. 
Now, in a traditional Jewish home on Passover, the head of the house would put on a special white robe. We call it a kittle. I'm not going to do it this morning. Uh, but it looks like the kind of robe that a priest might have worn. And, uh, you know, we usually wear one of these. What is this? Yarmulke. See, we, we live near New York where everybody knows this is not a beanie. All right, good. But on Passover, we wear something a little more special. It looks like a, a crown that a king might wear because... On Passover, the father fills the role of priest and king, and as he does that, he guides his family through this traditional Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word. It means order because there's a very clear order to all of it, and we find that order in this book we call a Haggadah, which means the telling, because the, the book itself actually tells the story of how God redeemed the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. So... <clears throat> We're all set to go. There's a customary greeting we start out with. I used to make my daughters yell it out the front door. They hated it. But uh, let all who are hungry come and eat. But uh, not really because I ain't got nothing here for you. But um, the invitation stands. Let's celebrate Passover a little bit, a few days late. And it begins with the lighting of the Passover candles. Usually, well, usually the duty and honor of the woman of the house. But my wife's not a first service person. So I'll do that. I don't even know if she'll want to do it in the second service. She's also not a in front of a crowd person, but that's okay. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> After lighting them, whoop. She is a better candle lighter, though. All right. After lighting them, she recites a traditional Hebrew blessing. goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu lahadlik ner shal yom tov. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart with your commandments and commanded us to kindle these festival lights. Now Passover is not just a meal, it's quite a banquet, and it's not just a, a regular worship service, a little bit similar, uh, you know, every week. It's quite a complicated annual ceremony. So where a normal meal and service might take one or two hours, the Passover celebration may take up to four hours. Thank you for pushing the second service back to three. So <laughs> during that time, each adult would drink from his cup and refill it four times. The first one is called the Kiddush cup or cup of sanctification, then the cup of plagues, and then the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. We'll say a lot more about that one later. Lastly, the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. But with the first one, the host or the father and the rest of the family, we lift our Kiddush cup aloft. We offer praise and thanks to God Almighty, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei Well, now we've officially begun and the youngest person present comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. Usually it's a little boy or a little girl. Now, this guy's been practicing some questions in Hebrew like all month, right? All right. Now, don't worry about it. But um, these questions have a purpose. You know, they set up the whole evening. The child, the boy or the girl asks, well, why are we doing that? And what's this for? And what does that mean? And it allows the parents and the grandparents to spend all evening answering those questions and then passing on the meaning of the holiday from generation to generation. In my family, I was the youngest of three, so this was my job. So I'll go ahead and get you off the hook. 
The first one goes like this. Which simply means, why is this night different than any other night? And those of us who know the story begin to give the answer. We say, this is because of what the Lord did for me. When he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now, there's going to be a lot of information this morning, and uh, Passover is new to some of you. I want you to remember one word. I'll say it, and then you say it back. Redemption. That was very unenthusiastic. Okay. But I'll, I'll trust that you got it. Uh, redemption is really the heart of this holiday. It's what this holiday is all about. So if you remember that word, you've got it. But with Passover, the Lord didn't just give us some message of redemption. He gave us his means of redemption through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. My ancestors were told, take a spotless lamb, roast it whole without breaking any of its bones, put its blood up on the door frames of our homes, the lintel, then the two side posts, and it was through our obedience to God's command and through our faith in the effectiveness of what he provided that we were spared the destruction of that 10th plague which fell in the land of Egypt. I was in a hotel room a week or two ago. How many of you caught that old movie, um, The Ten Commandments? I was flipping channels and there it was. Well, most of us know the story. When the Lord saw the blood on our doors, he caused death to... That's where we get the name of the holiday, Passover. In Hebrew, Pesach... The holiday we remember that death passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. It's really the central narrative of the Jewish people. It's a tremendous act of God's redemption, but I want us to see this morning that it's even more than that. It's a picture of a greater act of his redemption through the sacrifice of another Passover lamb, our Messiah Jesus. Moses recorded in the Torah None of the bones of those first lambs were uh, broken as they were slain at Passover. The gospel writers tell us none of Jesus' bones were broken as he was crucified at Passover. My ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of the lambs to the door frames of their homes. Well, spiritually, each one of us should apply in faith the blood of the Messiah to the door frames of our hearts. But I told you where the blood was up on those doors, right? Up high. And I know this isn't usually interactive, but... I'm not a regular preacher, so give me a break. Um, how did we get the blood up on the top of the door? Anybody remember? Hyssop. Yes, hyssop. Now, for 50 points, does anyone know what hyssop looks like? No. She's, she's, that's a painting motion. Yes. Uh, no. Anyway, I didn't know either. You've got to Google it. Nobody knows what hyssop looks like. Uh, but here's a clue. Does anyone remember where hyssop is mentioned in the New Testament? When Jesus was on the cross, they had to lift something up to him. They used hyssop. Why? Because it's a very long branch. So going back to the Exodus, we're told to put blood up high on our doors. And if you were short and God told you to use a four-leaf clover, you're kind of up a creek without a paddle, but God loves short people. So he said, take hyssop, splash some of that up on top. I was not there, obviously, but perhaps some of it might have dripped on the ground beneath, and then we put it on the two side posts. So if you think about that picture, 1,500 years B.C., it's very intriguing. Perhaps a picture of redemption that prefigures the wounds of our Messiah on the cross. Well, now the child has a, a second question. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread, bread that's flat, 
And we explained that our ancestors in their hurry to leave the land of Egypt had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. I'm going to show you a lot of things up here on the table. I want to start with this blue item. It's called a matzotash. Inside here are three layers of that unleavened bread we call matzah, and they're each separated from the others by cloth. You can see that they're in their own compartment. And on Passover, the head of the house removes just the middle layer. We break it, set one half aside. The other half gets a special name. I'll say it, then you say it. Afikomen. Okay, well, I, it does get broken, but usually not so dramatically. All right, well, I'm going to hold this half up instead. Uh, afikomen is not a Hebrew word. It's not an Aramaic word. It's actually Greek, which kinds of, kind of uh, begs a question. Why would a major Jewish holiday give a very important symbol a Greek name? Why isn't it Hebrew or Aramaic? Well, I'll answer that a little bit later, but at this point I'll tell you afikomen means that which comes or he who comes because in our ceremony that's exactly what happens. We don't eat it now. We would do that later. At this point we wrap it in a white cloth. This matzah is very breakable. It just broke. My wife bought egg matzah. It's much softer than regular matzah. I'm going to have to... No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> never used egg matzah up here. Now I want to eat it. Um, no one at the table knows where we hide it, but later on the kids have to find it or we can't even finish up. So now the child has two more questions. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs? Why on this night do we dip our food twice when normally we don't even dip it once? And I'm going to use this plate to help me explain. This is called a Seder plate, and no, it's not a Jewish picnic platter for deviled eggs. But um, when I'm in Tennessee, that's what people think. But you guys were in the Northeast. Um, together, all those foods create a really interesting picture of redemption. The first item is called karpas, or greens. We usually use parsley. And the greens represent life, but before we eat them, we dip them into salt water, which represents the tears of life. Why? To remember that a life without redemption is so often a life that is immersed in tears. The next item is called the chazeret. It's the root of the bitter herb, uh, generally a horseradish root, sometimes an onion. And it simply reminds us that the root or the beginnings of life are very bitter if you start out enslaved, as were the Jewish people back in Egypt. Then we have something called marar. It's the bitter herb itself. It's freshly ground horseradish. I think I heard someone volunteering, but no. On Passover, we're actually supposed to eat about a full teaspoon of the horseradish, but as we all know, as Aaron told us, Passover was last week, so not happening. We are going to pass right over that one. Do uh, you know what happens when you eat that much horseradish? Yeah, you, you either cry or you explode. Usually it's just cry. Uh, because the rabbis want us to have tears coming down our cheeks as we remember the anguish that our ancestors experienced when they were slaves back in Egypt. But then there's a very welcome contrast, something called haroset. It's, um, this is actually very good. I'll tell you what this recipe is made of. Chopped apples, cinnamon, walnuts, honey, a little bit of wine or grape juice. It's very sweet. You mash it all up. And it's supposed to look like the mortar that our ancestors made bricks for Pharaoh. But people wonder, 
Why would we use a sweet mixture like that to represent such a bitter job? We explain that even the most bitter labor is sweetened when the Lord has given you a promise of redemption. Two more symbols. This one called the Chagigah. That was the name given to an additional sacrifice that was once offered on holidays like Passover when the temple in Jerusalem was standing. On Passover, we would normally roast the egg, which burns the shell. We break it open. Everyone at the table gets a piece, but before we eat it, we dip it in our salt water, which represents what? Tears. We do that because it's a token of grief to the Jewish people over the destruction of the second temple. Now, the last symbol is this one called the Zeroah. This is the shank bone of a lamb. And um, I don't know about here in New Jersey, New York, so many of you know Jewish people or have Jewish family, have Jewish neighbors, co-workers. You might be familiar with this, but just in case, I will tell you that in Jewish homes today, guess what? We don't eat lamb on Passover. We used to. We don't today. Why? Because the lambs we once ate on this holiday were from those animals that were offered up as sacrifices. But in the year 70 A.D., the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed along with the altar where those sacrifices were performed. So from that day to this one, no animals are offered up, so no lamb is on the table. Instead, we just have this bone that reminds us of sacrifices that are no longer performed. But that bone and also to some extent the egg on the table they raise some, some tricky questions. And I want you to stay with me a second. There's, there's no temple, there's no altar, there's no sacrifice any longer, so how is it possible to atone for sin, to find God's forgiveness for sin? The law of Moses is very clear in Leviticus 17. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Uh, I'm a Jewish missionary to my own people, and this subject comes up fairly commonly, actually. And I get a whole range of responses. Some people just say, Stephen, you didn't have a good Jewish education. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Other people will say they'll be a little suspicious and, wait a minute, you're trying to pull a fast one on me. Let me check this out. And other people just get angry. I was once in the uh, office of an Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem, when this subject came up, I brought it up, <laughs> he started yelling at me at the top of his lungs. You mean to tell me you think God is some type of primitive, bloodthirsty being? It was pretty intense. I don't know how you would respond to that. I was 20 years old at that time. I had no response. His phone rang. I walked out. Okay, I was a hero. But um, I've got some better answers now. Let me tell you why I think it's still actually relevant in the 21st century. The first century rabbis, the ancient guys who put together the Haggadah and this whole service, they tell all of us who sit around the table to take the story of uh, Passover so personally, we should use our imagination and pretend as if God were bringing each one of us out of the land of Egypt. And it's a good object lesson, but I think it stops a little short. Because we should not only identify with the exodus, the, the leaving of Egypt, we really should identify with the need to be personally redeemed as they were. But with no temple and no sacrifice today, how is that possible? Well, about 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man by the name of Yochanan. We know him as John. 
John the Baptist. And he was at the River Jordan baptizing people one day, and he saw his cousin approach, another Jewish man by the name of Yeshua. We know him as Jesus. And most of us, or many of us, know what John said when he saw Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how redemption is possible today. Not through the blood of lambs any longer, but through the blood of the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God, our Messiah Jesus. Well, we're going to keep going here, so we're not really here for hours. The second cup is called the cup of plagues. And in Jewish tradition, the fruit of the vine is a symbol of joy, but actually, at this point, we actually uh, diminish our joy a little bit. Why would we do that? We remember for the Lord to redeem us from slavery in Egypt, he first poured out ten terrible plagues on the Egyptians. And we don't rejoice that they suffered. You know, they suffered loss of life, loss of property. Jesus said something about loving your enemies, right? Well, so we don't rejoice. We we express sorrow for a moment by diminishing the amount of wine in our cup. We let ten drops fall onto our plates as we recite those ten plagues together. But as I said, Passover really is a night to rejoice, to praise God, and to thank Him. And this morning I praise God not only that He redeemed my ancestors from their slavery in Egypt, but I praise the Lord that He redeemed me from a different type of slavery, slavery to sin. I was raised in the Chicago area, in a conservative synagogue. That's the middle branch of Judaism. Uh, we did all the, we did the Jewish thing, you know, from A to Z, all the blessings and Hebrew school and bar mitzvahs, and we did all what we were supposed to do, but did we believe in God and my family? I couldn't tell you because we never talked about him. So I went off to college. I didn't know if there was a God. I wound up writing a research paper for a Jewish professor on why the Jews at the time of Jesus didn't believe he was the Messiah. So I had to see what did they expect, why didn't they think Jesus fit that portrait. And uh, I had to get a Bible. I didn't own a Bible, so I stole a Bible. But it was a Gideon's Bible. They want you to do that. And uh, so, so this is a, a, a future sermon that we will hear from Pastor Aaron. Is God pleased or displeased when an unbeliever steals a Bible? All right. <laughs> Discuss amongst yourselves. But uh, I have a, my own thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, I, I read books explaining these passages in the Old Testament about the Messiah from a Jewish point of view, a Christian point of view, secular point of view. I had loads of questions. I interviewed two rabbis, two pastors. At the end of the day, I was struggling to finish this paper because I was leaning in the direction that it might be true. But uh, if you have Jewish friends and you've tried to bring up Jesus, you know the response is, no, thank you, I'm Jewish. There's just a line in the sand that you don't step over. So anyway, to make a long story short, about four months, five months later, my, my blonde girlfriend, blonde is a code word for not Jewish. Okay, so she's my wife now. Uh, but my, I, I go to my blonde girlfriend's house and she says, hey, guess, guess what happened last night? Jesus and I got together. She was trying to not scare me and sound religious. And I began to see her life change in some good ways. Anyway, I began to pray when I was alone, if there's a God, show me. This is true about Jesus, I'm willing to find out. And for those of you who have asked that question, you know that that is a question God has obligated himself to answer. He will answer that. He says, when you seek for me with all your heart, I'll show myself to you. I will be found. So that happened in my life. I knew it was true. I prayed with someone 
to receive Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And this morning, it doesn't matter that I'm Jewish and many of you are not. You know what matters is whether you and I have placed our faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. It's only through faith in him that any of us can pass over from death to life. Well, at this point, there's a little bit of a break. It's time for what we call the Shulchan Orech. That is the festive meal. Who's hungry? I still got nothing. All right. <laughs> but um, we'll pretend we had a nice meal, and then after the meal, it's time for the third cup, the cup of redemption. But actually, we can't continue because something is missing. You'll remember what's missing, right? The afikomen. Somebody knew Greek still. Very good. So the kids run around the house and find it except that year that your dad put it behind the strings in the upright piano and it fell and you find it years later when you move the piano. But anyway, um, it's returned to the head of the house and then broken again. Each person at the table gets a small piece of it, about the size of an olive, that's a, a big olive, but we uh, take that along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, I'm assuming for most of us, particularly here at Grace Church, this looks very familiar, as it should, because it was at the Last Supper, which we could call the Last Seder, it was a Passover Seder, is where Jesus first instituted the communion. But not only that, think about this. Where else could we find a clearer picture of our Messiah Jesus than in this custom of the Afikomen, which is broken, buried, and then brought back? Even the matzah itself, which is unleavened, a symbol of a sinless nature, can speak of Christ. Our rabbis, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that Judaism is a very, well, I want to say legislated religion. It's a, it's a very, I don't know, there's a word, law-rich religion. Uh, believe me, from everything, if you're very religious, which shoe to put on first? Can I open my refrigerator on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, because the light goes on inside? There's just lots and lots of considerations. Well, when we make matzah, it's got to have holes in it, according to the rabbi. It's got to be pierced. I'm not sure you'll, you'll see the light coming through there, perhaps. Well, the Lord spoke through the prophet Zechariah and said, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. But I can see Jesus symbolically not only in the matzah, but also in this matzah tash. You remember the pouch took the middle layer out of the three. There's a lot of disagreement in the Jewish community about what this thing means. Some rabbis will tell you that they may be the three patriarchs, you know, stand for them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why would we do all that business with the middle matzah? Other rabbis say, well, perhaps they're the threefold division of worship in the Jewish community, the priests, Levites, and the rest of the people of Israel. But again, why are we going to take the Levites out and break them, hide them, bring them back? It just doesn't answer all those questions. And there are also other explanations for that in the Jewish community. Why? Because it's a very ancient tradition. Nobody knows just who started it, when, what did they say it meant, and all that stuff. So we have all these competing explanations. Well, this morning, I want to offer you an explanation that I think will answer the questions I've been raising about that middle matzah. But I want to start out with that word afikomen. Why a Greek word? for a very important symbol in a major Jewish holiday. Did Jews ever speak Greek? Well, without opening things up like Sunday school, the answer is yes. There was one period in history, I'll give you a hint. Jewish people spoke Greek when Greek was English. 
I like riddles, right? Okay, so when was that? It, well, think about English today is the language of business around the world. Everybody, I was just in Cyprus, all right? I just got back Friday night from Cyprus. Guess what? A lot of people spoke English there. It's a worldwide language. Well, in the general first century era, Greek was that language. Greek was the language of commerce, of business, far and wide. So um, the fact that this has a Greek name tells us it most likely came out of that general first century era. And the explanation I want to give you this morning also comes out of that same time frame. Three layers there. Inside the pouch, they form a unity. And there's a Hebrew word that means that kind of unity. The word is echad. And it's from, uh, we, we find that word throughout Scripture, but in Deuteronomy 6, we read, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word Echad, one, through Scripture, also can generally mean a unity. And on Passover, the head of the house removes just the middle layer of that unity, making it visible while the other two remain hidden from view. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We Jews who know the Messiah believe that the unity of the Matzatash bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? You see the picture. We believe because Jesus was broken for sin at the cross, buried, brought back in resurrection. He said, this is my body given for you, given for you, for all of us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, then we get to the third cup, cup of redemption. In Jewish tradition, not only does the fruit of the vine represent joy, but on Passover, we're not supposed to use white wine, we're supposed to use red. Why? I, I once uh, asked a rabbi that question, an Orthodox rabbi. I already knew the answer, but I just want to give the authority that, you know, he said this, not me, which is true. He said, well, Stephen, we use red wine on Passover because the color is supposed to remind us of the blood of the lambs that were slain in Egypt to redeem us. It's like, wow, right? How close does that sound to the gospel? Because it was this cup, the cup of redemption coming after the meal, about which Jesus said, behold, a new covenant poured out for you in my blood. He spoke of a new covenant God had promised us in Jeremiah where he would put his Torah in our hearts, forgive our sin. He would be our God and we would be his people. The cup of redemption is taken with the afikomen in remembrance of the blood and the body of the Passover lamb. This morning my Passover lamb, and I hope yours, is Jesus. But well, we're going to get to our last of the four cups, the cup of Hallel. What word do we sing in some of our praise songs that sounds like that? Hallelujah. What does it mean? Praise the Lord. That's right. Hallelujah. Y'all praise. I was just in Tennessee. Yah, the short name of God. Hallelujah. That's right. So what we do is we enjoy this cup. We sing from the great Hallel, the, the Hallel Psalms 113 to 118. You remember Jesus and the disciples sang a hymn. It says before they finished up their last Seder, well, they were most likely singing from those psalms. But I actually want to really finish with a fifth cup that I haven't mentioned until now. And it's a little bit different than those. It's called the cup of Elijah. And in most Jewish homes at Passover, there's a whole place setting at the dining room table 
reserved for Elijah. Why? Well, according to, um, you've heard of the, the great Italian prophet Malachi, right? Malachi. <laughs> Malachi, one of, you know, the last of the Hebrew prophets in, in your Bible, your Old Testament. Uh, there's some verses in there, and a Jewish understanding is that before the Messiah would come, he would be preceded by the return of Eliyahu Hanavi, that's Elijah the prophet. So we send a child to the door, he or she would open it up wide, and the family watches and waits to see if Elijah will come, enter the home, and announce the coming of the Messiah. Why is this expected on Passover? Well, I've told you, what's this holiday all about? What's that word? Redemption. So if this is the feast of redemption, which it is, when the Messiah comes, he brings the greater redemption. So it's been merged onto this holiday in, in the Jewish mind. And we sing a very poignant song. We sing, Eliyahu Hanavi, that's Elijah the prophet. Eliyahu HaTishbi, Elijah the Tishabite, his family line. Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu HaGiladi, the Gileadite, that's his geographic region. Soon speedily in our day. May he come to us. With the Messiah, son of David. And we sing this song several times. Hoping, expecting, wondering. Is this going to be the year that he's going to show up? and announced the coming of the Messiah. Well, as you heard, Passover was just last week. We woke up the next morning. It wasn't on CNN, wasn't on Fox News, wasn't in the newspapers. He didn't show up. He never shows up. And there's a reason, though. It's because he's already come. When Jesus spoke of the prophet John, he said, if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. So the forerunner of the Messiah has come, and folks, that tells us that the Messiah, it's a signal. The Messiah himself has come, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, Savior of Jew and Gentile together, like we have here in this room this morning. Well, we've reached the finish line. I've, I've given you a lot of information, uh, and there's no quizzes. Don't worry, there's no pressure. You will remember the word redemption. But I want you to remember that headline. The Bible is a story, and I'm so glad Pastor Aaron's going to be talking about an overview of the Bible. It is a story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, and I just want to check out the Pew Bibles. I've never even checked, even though I've been coming here for a couple of years. Yeah. Th these Bibles have this one page that um, there's no words on it, um, but it has a big theological message in my mind. It's a, that little separator page between the Old and the New Testament. Now, what it says is somehow that sort of implicitly this half is separate and different than this part. And so in my personal Bibles at home, I, I, I actually yanked that puppy right out because uh, I don't think it belongs there. I don't know why editors put it in there, but it, it shouldn't be there, so I'm starting a movement. And uh, you know what to do when you get home. Um, I actually just, uh, I want to close with a, a quick word of prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for this morning, 
for your goodness, your presence here with us, the chance to express our burdens to you, our concerns to you, to be um, together with other believers who can encourage us, the chance to worship you, for you are amazing. Thank you for your good work in our lives. Help us to share who you are and your love with people that you bring across our path, whether they are Jewish, whether they are not Jewish. We love you and we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.